Hello, everyone, and welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 172, and we're reviewing Jujutsu Kaisen Season 2, Part 2. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. Happy New Year. We are in 2024, and I don't know how to feel about it. (laughs) I mean, is there really anything to feel about a new year every year? Especially... With this year, New Year's Day falls on a Monday. So there's not, like, I just feel like there's not really anything exciting or thrilling about the start of a new year anymore. Maybe when you're younger, it's like, oh, I can I can have a fresh start. Or maybe that's still something that, like, a mentality that people have. But for me, it's just like, same shit, different day. <laughs> or I guess same shit, different year. Yeah, but I guess what we usually try to do to to signal to ourselves that it's a new year fresh start is of course the new year's resolution do you have one this year no (laughs) pretty much for the (laughs) reasons i mentioned um but i guess like it's more of just like a continuous process like it's not something that i would want to limit to a year just something that happens over time if i were to have like a thing that i wanted to improve on why limit it to a year but did you have a quote unquote resolution? Um, I kind of thought about it and I was like, maybe to be a little more disciplined. I don't know if it's necessarily like I'm not super disciplined or if it's just the chaos of having a baby and trying to like, you know, get back into routine when that's like near to impossible. But maybe it's just more about being on like on top of things because um, we've been parents for a little while now. So I feel like we should... We should get our shit together. Yeah. We, we have our shit that. together, to be fair. But, you know, it's chaos. I will say that we do have plans for the podcast for 2024. So that's an entirely different perspective, I guess, from my personal perspective. Uh, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully we have a lot of big things planned for this year. Do you have a like an anime related resolution for the new year? Because I have one. I do, actually, and you'll find this surprising. I wanted to start Gintama. Yay! (laughs) Finally! Because I I figured, you know, we always have the seasonals um, every every season. I think I'm just in need of an anime where it's like, turn your brain off and I can enjoy it on my own time. And you've always spoken highly about Gintama. And I've seen many episodes out of context because of you. (laughs) So I figured for 2024, why not just start the series and and see what all the fuss is about? Because I know it's, what, like 400 episodes and like a couple movies? Yeah. um, I can't remember anymore the exact number, but I binged all of Gintama, all the episodes, all the movies, um in what was it like two and a half to three months so do you think think it can beat me (laughs) no not at all (laughs) like if it took me probably like nearly a year to finish marmalade boy (laughs) this is probably going to take me longer than a year unless i'm like really interested in certain arcs um, then i might spend a little bit more time watching or like watching in bulk but what what is your anime related 
resolution for 2024. It's kind of similar to yours in the sense that it has a shitload of episodes, but you'll never believe this. I'm giving Naruto another try. Oh, okay. I'm already 19 episodes into Naruto. Yeah, I did see you <laughs> watch on your phone a couple times and I saw his his headband. <laughs> yeah, I um I I watched it a long time ago for those who aren't familiar. I even read um parts of Naruto and Shonen Jump. I just could not get into it. Uh for the longest time I hated it because, you know, Naruto fans are very very intense, but I'm at this point where as I've mentioned in the past, I'm trying to be more open-minded about anime to broaden my horizons, watching things like Beastars or Prison School or any kind of like BL, like just tapping into genres that I haven't before or like sports anime with Haikyuu. It's a, it's a good starter. Um, so I was like, I should also tap into the classics. And of course, for anyone in our generation of, uh, you know, anime fans, weebs, Naruto is one of the big three. Uh, we've kind of already started Bleach, but I'm having not like I'm not having difficult difficulty getting into it. I think it's just like uh, it's not hitting whatever mood I'm in. So I was I like, let me try. We we started. Yeah, Bleach and then <laughs> put it on hold. I was like, let me try Naruto instead, and that is kind of scratching the itch that I have right now. It's kind of it's it's more in line with what I'm in the mood for. So I'm like, I'll just take it and run with it. Like while I'm enjoying it, let you know. I should I just keep watching. I am going to um, try to keep my sanity by not skipping filler episodes. But I do have um, one of the many filler lists. I'm going to watch all the fillers in two times speed just so that I can try to make it through all 220 episodes. And then I think Shippuden has like 500 episodes. Oh, Jesus. So as much as I am a binge watcher, I also have very limited time. So that's my goal for 2024 is to get through all of Naruto. Well, look at you all grown up like, what, 10, 15 years later after you watched (laughs) it and Decided I'm never touching this again. Well, I gave Kaguya a second chance, so I might as well give Naruto a second chance. But speaking of second chances <laughs> and Kaguya-sama, uh, I believe you finally finished the anime you promised to give a second chance to. Yes, this was in reference to the a- uh, the episode we did on the anime that we dropped. And we received community feedback for the two anime on our drop list that we should give another chance. You had Kaguya-sama, and I had Orbital Children. And I know this episode comes out at the very beginning of 2024, but I assure you that I stayed true to my promise and finished Orbital Children well before the deadline. Or maybe not well before the deadline, but I completed the series in the 11th hour in 2023 and you can check my mail and, and and verify that and i will say that it was decent decent interesting yeah. what did you rate it or what um, would you rate it i think on mail i rated it a seven out of ten and i'm it's not like i, I was disappointed in in finally watching the series it was more like okay, I, I could have done without watching it. Because <laughs> uh, to me, it just felt like a a Studio Ghibli movie, but in space. Because you watched it, right? Like, can you kind of see what how that metaphor works? Yeah, and I think, like, 
Orbital Children was trying to do something bigger than what it accomplished. It's like like you said, it's good. It's not like a bad watch. I don't regret watching it, but I wouldn't necessarily like tell somebody that they have to watch it or it wouldn't be the first thing I recommend to somebody. So it's like in that that middle ground, perhaps mid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, I would say it was a it was a decently mid series. Or I think it was a movie that was split into a couple parts. But yeah, thankfully it was only six episodes. And I'll admit it has great animation, it has great music, great sound design. But I think the one thing that I couldn't really get into with the series is how it got way too meta with its themes. So it's it takes place in the near future. And it's about these, I think, four, five kids that are on the space station and they're about to, or like they're caught in the midst of like a, a catastrophe that happens in space. Uh, but it's also intertwined with themes around artificial intelligence and kind of like the future of humanity uh, as it goes into this more technologically advanced direction, which does feel relevant still to the modern day but i think it was just too lofty to try to weave these goals into a movie that i i feel is supposed to be aimed at like kids or or young adults but it just did not click with me and i think it's because like the story and the characters just felt really trivialized despite this impending catastrophe that is supposed to drive the plot and half the time i found myself like looking at the 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 timestamp that i was on because i felt like you know episodes had action but it was just really slow to 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 move to the next thing um (laughs) i got a little bit frustrated but yeah i made it through i didn't watch it at like two times speed i did Oh, you did? Yeah, for okay. those exact reasons, I was like, okay, come on, let's go. <laughs> okay, so it wasn't just me then. But yeah, it just felt like things were dragging, and it was just way too highbrow for me to really grasp what the message was with the series. But hey, you completed your goal for 2023, you watched it, and now you'll move on to your next goal for 2024, watching Gintama. Yes, and I don't expect to drop that. Good, I hope you don't. I'd be so sad. (laughs) Well, at the risk of sounding cheesy, guys, we have an ask of you for 2024, and that's to support us if you've been enjoying the podcast or if you're joining us for the first time in 2024, welcome. Um, But yeah, if you want to support us and what we do here at Strictly Anime, we'd really, really appreciate it. The easiest way is to leave us a rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on right now. Spotify is a great example because you just... Go to the iOS or Android app, you find the star under Strictly Anime, you tap that and you leave us a rating and it really helps us out. Um, We also recommend following us and subscribing to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on so you get notified of our new episodes when they go live. Um, The best way, the fastest way that podcasts typically grow is through word of mouth. So if you know anybody who'd be interested in our podcast and who would enjoy the stuff that we talk about, definitely recommend us. 
And if you want to connect with us directly, the best way is to join our Discord and you can hang out with everyone that's there. We've got a lot of great people, um, you know, posting in all of our channels and having a good time. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series on Twitter or X or whatever it is at Strictly Series. And if you want to support us in a different way and get access to bonus content, you can find us at patreon.com slash strictly series. So now moving into what is arguably one of the biggest shows of 2023, even though we're in 2024. Um, it just wrapped up. So of course, you know, this is the, the soonest that we can talk about it. But Jujutsu Kaisen season two, part two whew, was a wild ride. Yeah, this was quite the long Halloween, if you ask me, and that's a wink to our Batman fans out there. <laughs> um, and you know what? I'm I'm not ashamed to say it. Jujutsu Kaisen finally got interesting for me. Let's go. <laughs> Anyone who hasn't listened to our part one review, highly recommend doing so. It's episode 161 of Strictly Anime titled Jujutsu Kaisen Season 2 Part 1. But um, if you've listened to that and you're joining us for the part two, um, yeah, it's uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about. A lot. Mm -hmm. Although, I don't know why, but social media has spoiled the shit out of this second half for me. Uh, so there were many key plot points in this second half that I had foreknowledge of. And I wasn't, like, disappointed about it since, like, Jujutsu Kaisen it's a show that I enjoy, but it's not one where like I'm heavily invested. Um, but you know, I, it's kind of like I was expecting things to happen. Um, so a little, little, um, peeved about it, but you know, that's my fault for not, um, muting hashtags or I don't even know how I stumbled upon these, <laughs> these spoilers, but I guess it happens. Um, but yeah, this was an insane, conclusion to the Shibuya incident. One thing I want to call out, um, just kind of like my my initial thoughts on this half of the season, and kind of it, it flows into the first part of the season as well. Um, we've talked many times about how JJK has, it gives us lore fatigue and power system mm -hmm. fatigue because it is so complex, so convoluted um, that these characters need to like take a lot of screen time to explain what's going on and even then I don't entirely grasp it the first time I'm hearing it now to the point where because they're in all in fight scenes they have to bust out the narrator in hunter yeah. hunter style to tell well, us what the <laughs> hell is going on yeah, I was that's about how to, complex it is I was is. about to say like this feels like the chimera ant arc in hunter hunter because of like that aspect of the narrator uh but also that it's just action-packed like nearly every episode yeah and there was this uh instagram reel that i came across and i sent it to carl and we'll also share the link to it in the discord where it's basically somebody trying to read through how they explain like domains and then smaller domains and then simple domains and the guy's just getting really fucking confused and i'm like i relate so hard to this reel. <laughs> that's exactly how i feel so what we're trying to say is that because of how complex and convoluted these bits of lore and and the power systems are throughout this review we're gonna do our best to like high level explain them but honestly don't expect us to be able to do a good job uh, we may make an attempt but i I, do, I just don't understand 
these things enough to feel like I can accurately describe them. So take what we say about those things with a grain of salt, but we have plenty to say about everything else that's going on in the season. Well, I didn't really understand shit about <laughs> the power system in JJK. <laughs> so if, if if you don't, if you are trying to piece it together, then I'm not going to have any luck. Maybe two half brains between the two of us <laughs> will make one whole brain that can mm-hmm. make sense of this. But like I said, we'll we'll do our best, but we'll see how it all goes. One other thing I want to call out before we dive into this review for anyone who's watched My Hero Academia season six, do you feel like there's some parallels going on here i mean we won't spoil anything for my hero right but if you know what what i'm talking about if you've seen my hero season six this season of jujutsu kaisen kind of seems to mirror what happens in that season oh yeah for sure but one thing that i'll give jujutsu kaisen credit for is i guess it, it took my hero almost six seasons to really get the story moving and bring that series closer to its end point. I feel like Jujutsu Kaisen like goes straight to the punch here because stakes are are much higher and like you have no idea what's about to happen next so you really are at the edge of your seat. But I think I've always said that the one like one of the reasons why Jujutsu Kaisen hasn't always like stuck with me is that it feels very derivative of other series that we've watched. I mean, I always joke that there are a lot of similarities between Jujutsu Kaisen and the premise of Harry Potter, but I definitely also felt like my hero vibes, especially with a a key line that a character says later that I'm sure we're going to address. Yeah, I I would also say, though, to... Jujutsu Kaisen's credit, they did what My Hero did in season six. Now, I don't know which came first in the manga, right? Like maybe the JJK stuff came first, whatever it is. But on the, and on the anime front, we saw My Hero season six first. So they did what My Hero season six was doing, which was still really solid, but did it so much better, so much cleaner. And not once did I feel like drained or exhausted or annoyed or bored with everything that happened especially in the second half of season two so props to them i mean it was just it was great so i'm excited to talk about it all right strictly fam it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, so let's dive into our synopsis and discussion for jujutsu kaisen season two part two the 2023 anime adaptation of a manga series written and illustrated by gege akutami Produced by Studio MAPPA and directed by Shota Goshozono, the latter half of the second season continues the Shibuya incident arc as things begin to spiral out of control in the wake of Gojo's ceiling, forcing Yuji Itadori to confront the extent of his consequences in serving as Sukuna's vessel. Starting with episode 12, Dull Knife, with Mustache Man's timely demise and the breaking of a key Shibuya seal, Yujiro has the opportunity to link up with Kent Overhaul while Fushikushi brings Ino Supremo to safety. Unbeknownst to them, the ghost of Tojiguro past has fully taken over that boy's hole. Mother Mei Mei I and My Little Wee Wee fight the disease known as smallpox, and Kent Overhaul comes to the rescue of Nobara Juku and some blonde chick in a suit, as he takes the bad cop role of the good cop bad cop routine in taking care of some cursed country bumpkin. 
all of which is topped off by Yuji facing off against his biggest nemesis he's never known, the Chozo One. Really brief mention about the OP and ED. They remain unchanged for this part. OP is specials by King Nu, and ED is more than words by Hichiji Bungaku. Although there are some key changes to the OP, but I'll bring those up when we get to that later episode. We had stopped our part one review of the season right before, obviously, this episode. Um, but then I saw all the tweets come out, and I saw that screenshot of Nanami's face, and I was like, whoo, we're getting <laughs> something interesting here. The animation in this episode was incredible. I mean, all of them are really, really good, but this one went above and beyond, especially with Nanami's scenes and that pissed off face of his. Like I said, it went viral on Twitter. Everyone was down bad for Nanami. And if you caught our previous episode, The Best and Worst of 2023 Anime, we did talk about this um, in that episode as well. But yeah, whew, that face. I'll I'll share that picture um, or the screenshot in the Discord so you guys can, can see it and save it and make it your phone background or whatever you need to do. But yeah, they, they did Nanami some serious justice. I guess to steal a phrase that Courtney has used quite often, that scene got me bricked up. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, like, all of a sudden, I saw, like, comparison images of Nanami from season one, and he just looks like your regular, average-looking salaryman. And then in this scene, he he's built like a brick shit house. Yeah, and I love love the scene because i love how cool and collected but like full of rage he is when he's asking the blonde guy he's like what's the number and location of your allies and he keeps repeating it it's so good i mean this <laughs> is like some serious shit <laughs> i mean it's it's justified because like nanami sees the casualties on their side on the battlefield especially with what's the guy's name ijichi the the scrawny black suited character oh yeah the 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 cool not the cool the the driver dude yeah like really chill yeah and you know the news that gojo has been sealed so he has a lot of pent-up rage and i'm just glad that he took it out on haruta which is the country bumpkin that we see in this episode because i don't like this motherfucker yeah he was so annoying but the nanami scenes weren't the only thing that had me really really excited about this episode there were two other things the next thing was the fact that daddy fushiguro came back from the dead and his son megumi was just below him on the street i was freaking out like no way are we gonna get a reunion which we'll talk about of course in a few episodes but i was like let's go let's fucking go and he's, he said the thing from the OP where he's like, my body's special. You are my special. <laughs> and then the other thing that got me really, really excited was the fact that Nobara finally got some action and was kind of the solo fighter. But as always, and I talked about this a lot when we reviewed the first season of Jujutsu Kaisen, I feel like Nobara always gets the short end of the stick. Like, she's a skilled fighter, and I love her personality because she doesn't give a shit. She's confident. Um, she always stays, like, level-headed. But her, she always gets the shortest fight scenes or something happens where she gets, like, kidnapped or something and it cuts it short. Even here, when she's going up against whatever the... I can't remember his name Haruta. yet. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I just feel like the fight scene was just okay. 
it could have been better. It got cut cut short. Um, Nanami comes in and steals the spotlight, which I understand, right? Like he's he's the teacher. He he's the more skilled fighter. But I just want her to have her moment. I, I'm like dying for that. And I'll talk more about this when we get to her next fight from the season, which is better than this one. But man, I'm just waiting. Like she needs her moment. Yeah, I feel like anime trios in other series have kind of like a balance to them in terms of like when the show focuses on a specific character in the trio. I I feel like that's not the case for Nobara or, or Kugisaki. Um there, there's definitely a priority between the three characters of JJK's trio. But I mean, like, still seeing her in action was nice. And I think this was a concern I had towards the end of the first half of Jujutsu Kaisen is, will we see more action from these characters or are they going to be relegated to cameo roles? Obviously, that's not the case with the second half, but it feels like, like you said, Nobara gets the short end of the stick. And... I have to call out, she is literally a main character of the show. And you could name a ton of supporting characters or B-list characters that get more action than her. Get more action. Get, like, more fight scenes, more screen time than she does. I honestly think she is not getting the respect that she deserves. But who knows? Maybe there's something more for her in the future. In episode 13, Red Scale... Somebody call Taylor Swift because there's a lot of bad blood in this episode. Yujiro barely withstands the brunt of the Chozo One's sanguine sluggers, hellbent on avenging his bloody blood brothers until Bat's Mechamaru's Mecha AirPods advise him to take a bathroom break. And thanks to the science of hydrodynamics, Yuji gains the upper hand until no he doesn't because this is how anime fight logic works. But before the Chozo One can land a killing blow, Yujiyo's inner curse king tells him to sukuna these nuts and sends his ass to La La Land while a pair of sisters come to his aid and perform CPR, Cursed Patriarch Resuscitation. I had a really hard time throughout part two of the season deciding which of the fight scenes were my favorite because every time I came across one that I was like, this is it. This is my favorite one. Another one would happen that I'd love more. But reflecting on all the fight scenes that we've seen, I think that the first half of the fight between Itadori and Choso is my favorite. Like prior to, to Itadori running to the bathroom. I think everything before that was phenomenal. The colors, the music, the choreography. I mean, one of the best parts about it is when Itadori is covered in Choso's blood, but then Choso like reels the blood back in and it like, like, how do, like, like sucks the blood off of Itadori's body. It, like, pulls it off of him. It is so cool. I, I'm obsessed with this fight scene, and I hope that it makes it to the Crunchyroll Anime Awards that I can vote the shit out of this one. Like, I think this is such a great fight. That makes me realize, you know, Chainsaw Man wasn't included in last year's Crunchyroll Anime Awards. Oh, shit. Then so they're, okay, they're probably next gonna, year's. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like they're going to try and shoe in Chainsaw Man for this, and then JJK uh, is, like, the underdog. Um, yeah, this was a pretty good fight scene between Chozo and Itadori. The action was so close quarters, though, that it kind of felt jarring to look at. And there were certain shots where it felt like the animation lagged a bit. But I did enjoy the contrasting color between, like, you see, I think it's Chozo that either has 
blue hues? Or maybe... Yeah. And then Yuji's red in the bathroom. Um, you kind of see, like, the lights playing in in that environment. Kind of just, just like, differentiate their different power levels. Um, and I was looking at a thread on Twitter where it shows some of the action sequences from this season. And maybe I can share this on the Discord as well. But one scene in this fight, I think it's where the both of them are like in the bathroom and they're readying up to fight again. It, there's a subtle reference to this cult classic Indonesian action film, The Raid, which I don't know if you, if you watched, Courtney, but... I think we watched I, it together. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. Yeah. And in that movie, there's a scene where it's two... Of, it's, the, it's the protagonist and one of the main bad guys and they're like inching towards each other and getting in the fighting stance I think Itadori and Chozo do the same thing here so I like that kind of homage to that pretty classic action scene when when we get to that bathroom part again everything I love about this fight scene happens prior to Itadori running to the bathroom but when we do get to that that second half of the fight I'm like, here comes the narrator to explain why Choso's blood didn't work in the bathroom and, and and doing so in the most typical Jujutsu Kaisen way, which is to be overly specific and convoluted. Like, it, it mean, basically it includes... boils down to, like, the blood was watered down. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's... Like, that's that's what it all is. And I get, yeah. like, I, I get the idea behind, like, giving it this fluff and making it seem like it's this like whole scientific thing, which yes, technically it is, but sometimes it's just okay to say the blood got watered down. Um, obviously we need a little more explanation than that, but not the over explaining that happened um, in this fight scene. It's, it's another moment of that, that power system fatigue. Yeah. This isn't cells at work. <laughs> we, I'm, maybe we need like the gist of what was going on. But yeah, this was like being in a science class and science was one of my least liked subjects. But thankfully it was just balanced out by action. And that's the nice thing about JJK is that even though the explanation of like the lore behind the power systems can be very bloated, at least it's solid in giving you great fight scenes. I know that there's the moment at the end of the fight where Choso starts freaking out. I want, kind of want to save that for in, for his reappearance towards the end of the season because then we can talk more about like what the hell is happening there. Yeah, that was a bit confusing. And then we also get the reveal of the two sisters that approach Itadori after all is said and done. Uh, those are the Hasaba sisters. I don't know if we've seen them before. We I mean, have. Like, I think um, in the prequel we see yeah. Ghetto like save them. Yeah, in the flashback, and so that gives context here, um, since I think we're we're made to assume that these are the the two girls that Ghetto saved, but it's kind of a a very short lived cameo, as I think we'll see in a couple episodes. In episode fourteen, fluctuations. Mother May May I manages to defeat smallpox with my little wee wee's help, even though a vaccine was already developed in 1796, and they advance to fighting off the next plague upon humanity that is fake Gato Superstar. Elsewhere, 
Kent Overhaul teams up with Old Money Zenin and Young Money Zenin to fight the octopus-like Dagoyaki curse, who decides to take them to a scenic beach for some nice reverse R&R. Fushikushi manages to book the Jujutsu Trio a last-minute ticket off of Not Love Island until he's faced with some literal daddy problems. So before we get into, the, I guess, the Toji part at the end of this, do you care at all about maze scenes? I care a little more about maze scenes than the fucking uh, crab monster. What is it, an octopus? Okay. Yeah, his name was Dagon. Yeah, but... I, I don't know. I've, I've sung my praises about all the fights, but then I got to this episode and I'm like, meh, this one's okay. Like, I just, I could have done without a lot of what happened in this episode because, at least for the octopus part, um, it was a lot of over-explaining for a domain we're literally going to see once because then he died. Yeah, well, that's actually the same environment where uh, Mahito and Gedo spend time in season one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's, I mean, we've okay, seen fine. this. Okay, fine, we've seen it before, yeah. but you know what I mean, right? Like, in mm-hmm. context. <laughs> yeah, but like, I'm just... I don't know what to make of May, and don't get me started on uh, Wee Wee, which I think <laughs> I mentioned last episode was my worst supporting character of 2023. Because <laughs> uh, I can't tell if she's supposed to be like morally ambiguous. That's the idea, and I, we'll get more about that when she makes her her exit from Japan in a few episodes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's the idea: is like not everybody who's fighting on the same side is totally righteous. Okay, and then you know, like there, like there's the siscon tropes that are apparent with Wee Wee. I couldn't even begin to tell you how she defeated smallpox in her scenes in this episode. It was the crows. Yeah. I mean, you tried to explain it, but I was just... Something like... Okay, here we go. Like, right? We're going to do our best to explain this. I think it was something like... um, Because Wee Wee made the ultimate sacrifice or chose to... Was okay with making the ultimate sacrifice of his life Mm -hmm. in order to gain a shit ton of power. Right? Like, you're giving something to take something equally powerful. And that's what May does with her crows. The crows obviously aren't going to be strong enough to attack a fucking curse. But if they make the ultimate sacrifice of their lives in exchange for a shitload of power, she then uses them as basically, like, like bullets to just pierce through the curse. Hopefully, I did that somewhat justice. Yeah, but then... So did the crows agree to die for her? Basically, yeah, I think so. How do, how do we know that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but you know, the narrator. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Th- thanks to the narrator for being the real MVP for this this season. Uh, but you know, whatever it 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 defeats smallpox and you know may briefly confronts Ghetto, but we we see that she's not really successful against fighting him or whatever. Going back to the octopus fight. As I mentioned, I was like, whatever, about the whole thing. I was definitely losing interest until Fushiguro showed up. And then I was like, okay, now you have my full attention. Mm-hmm. And then Daddy Fushiguro shows up. I'm like, now you have 200% of my attention. Because Fushiguro Megumi, Fushiguro is my favorite character. I feel like he didn't have enough screen time in this season. Understandably so, though, because this this season is just not about him necessarily. Um, probably more so about his dad than about him. But yeah, that 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 took my attention a full one eighty. I was like, all right, now I want to see what's going to happen because Fushiguro has entered the fight. Yeah, it was interesting seeing Toji here, kind of like a 
what the fuck climax, but I, I have a question about Toji when when we get to the episode in question. <laughs> in episode 15, Fluctuations Part 2, Zaddy Tojigoro turns Dagoyaki into seafood gumbo and removes the Not Love Island domain, subsequently setting his sights on his stupefied son and his seeking out sorcerers of supreme strength. Captain Magma mourns the death of his cursed aquatic companion, honoring his memory by frying Kent Overhaul and the old money young money Zenins to a cursed crisp. He finds Sukuna at the whim of the Hasaba sisters and offers him a 15-finger lickin' feast, to which the King of Curses responds by capping the detate out of the sisters and forcing Captain Magma to a one-on-one pickup game if he really wants the discount League of Villains to Sukuna these nuts. All right, so Toji, Daddy Kushiguro is strong as fuck. The fight scene was intense. Um, but to me, nothing was more intense than him flinging his son into the street and is about to confront him. I was like, that's all I care about right now. I don't <laughs> give a shit about anything else. But then Sukuno is back. So I'm like, okay, uh, it is nice to see him again. Um, I forgot how he commands a presence and is feared more than any other curse. I'm like, finally, we get to see Sukuna because we were talking in the last what last season and then the movie and then the prequel probably were all like where is sukuna yeah so the wait is over we finally see sukuna back in his prime and it's like it's really his fucking prime um in this in this arc uh just wanted to call out uh, with toji facing off against dagon um, you know, Toji is voiced by Takehito Koyasu, who is the voice of Dio. Um, Dio has a son in JoJo, spoiler alert, called Jorno. I was reminded of the seven-page Muda, I think towards the tail end of Toji's fight with Dagon, as he's just like flay or like he's wailing on on the, the octopus curse. Yeah, I could see that. All he needed to say was Muda, Muda, Muda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, that opportunity never came to fruition um one of the oh go ahead (laughs) one other thing and you know i don't think people or like this really comes to play until we see nanami later on but you know like jogo comes in and you know he's disappointed that uh dagon has been fried to a crisp or whatever and so he as an act of vengeance burns nanami I think his name was Naobito, the, the old geezer, and Maki. I know people later when we see uh, Nanami's demise, uh, are like they're weeping over it on social media. What about Maki, though? Well, I was going to ask the question, do we think Maki and the old fart died? I mean, if Nanami is that badly damaged, like his ha- half his body, okay, he looked like, what's his face? Two-Face from uh, yeah, Mr. Nolan's uh, Batman. Knight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there you go, my my Dark Knight reference. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if he's like that burnt to a crisp, there's no fucking way that Maki... Say she lives, right? She's going to be unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. There's just no fucking way. Unless they have some like... They pull something out of their ass. Like she had some cursed object on her that like makes her resistant to fire or some shit. I think she's probably, if not dead, at least like out of the game. Yeah. It's surprising because... Like, Nanami's death was one of the things that I was spoiled about uh, on social media. 
but no one talks about Maki at all. Yeah, and the old dude, I mean, he was expendable. That's why I mean, they chopped off his arm. Old. Right, <laughs> so, they yeah. chopped off his arm because he's expendable. But I say that, and like the, the same thing happens to Toto, and I, I wouldn't necessarily call Toto expendable. Um, okay, let me back up here. One of the good things about this season is that we are thinning out the ranks on mm. both sides. And I think I've complained about this before with Jujutsu Kaisen is that there are too many fucking characters and they keep introducing more characters. And it, like a lot of the the lore and power system fatigue, sometimes I do get character fatigue as well. So I was kind of like, okay, like, yeah, it sucks to see some of these characters die. And I'm like, okay, at least it's like less people that we have to follow along with. Um, now, did I want Maki to die? Assuming she's dead. No, we can't. We, we know in anime, if you don't see someone like actually dead on screen, they're probably not dead. But mm. assuming Maki might be dead or down for the count, um, I was bummed about that. I do like her character. And I mean, she has this whole thing about like proving herself, even though she's not naturally a, a curse user. But in the grand scheme of things, I'm kind of like, okay, at least we're like getting rid of a bunch of characters on both sides. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think JJK adds characters to the extent that my hero does, but I like that in contrast to my hero, I, I feel like Jujutsu Kaisen takes bigger risks by not having characters wear so much plot armor. Although I, I guess there is one character that we'll talk about later on that does feel like they have plot armor on them. But you know, here in cases especially with Nanami, um, the, the creator for JJK wasn't afraid to, to to kill him off if it's in service of making the stakes higher for Itadori to understand like why it's like his role is so important in in fighting off these curses. In episode 16, Thunderclap, Fushi Sr. wages war against Fushi Jr., but decides to end Hero when he hears that Fushikushi pledges no allegiance to the Zenin flag. But just when Fushiguro sets off to get a health pack from Shoko Loko, who else but that cursed country bumpkin shows up to rear his ugly and still alive head? But more importantly, the pickup game between Sukuna and Captain Magma literally heats up as all of Shibuya becomes their infernal playground, leading to the latter's fiery demise. And so back to the country bumpkin we go, but though it seems he has secured a victory over Fushikushi, something wicked this way comes. So I think this is where some of the animation may have been scaling back. It's a bit more like rough around the edges, a bit more stylized, less detailing, less like depth. Because you think about those those scenes of Nanami from episode 12, like how detailed and like shadowed he looked and everything this is like very much the opposite of that um i was a little bummed it had to be this episode because that meant the fight between father and son was also like not as clean or as impressive as some of the other fights so yeah that was a bit a bit of a bummer but i still enjoyed it like the chase between fushiguro and his dad albeit short was really really exciting and I think what comes after that is the best part for me because, again, I've been, like, waiting for this, this not confrontation, but this reunion of sorts for a while. Although, again, it's it's short-lived and not much comes of it. I do hope that there's more that Megumi learns about his dad down the road. Yeah, so two things with um, this scene. Well, I guess 
this first point kind of applies to the whole episode. Um, and this is something that I noticed in the scene with uh, the detective Kusakabe. And I think Panda is with him. Is that, yeah, the animation quality kind of dips here. Almost like it's this episode was drawn by like a, a guest animator. Similar to that one episode of Guren Lagan. Um, and I know the animation in JJK season two, it's kind of like a a recurring topic as these episodes go on um, because it's kind of mired in a lot of controversy within the community. Um, And and it it brings up an an important topic of discussion when it comes to like the animators at MAPPA and how thinly stretched out they are with the animation like the quality of animation that they need to achieve and all the projects that they're working on um but yeah you kind of see the effects of that here and i feel with subsequent episodes uh the second thing we really quick let me comment on that because i I agree i think we're we're by no means like ignoring the fact that the animators are working in a very um poor work environment at mappa we've heard about it we've read about it um, if you're not familiar with it, you can certainly Google it and, and learn more. So when I when we say that maybe the animation in this episode or a particular fight scene or whatever doesn't look as good, that doesn't necessarily mean that it looks bad. It yeah. still look even the worst animation of this season of Jujutsu Kaisen still looks better than a lot of other anime. So you know, props to the animators doing the best they can with what they're given and the you know the crazy deadlines and expectations. And I still think, all in all, this whole season looks phenomenal. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, you can't help but notice when there is a difference in animation versus other episodes. Yeah, and I think they picked it up towards the end where the animation was back up to speed with what you'd expect from MAPPA. Um, but yeah, there is that kind of undercurrent that lies these episodes uh, where you have to kind of think of the reality of the situation. Uh, the second point that I wanted to bring up is the question that I had around Toji. So, you know, we're introduced to Toji in the prequel, uh, the Hidden Inventory or Premature Death arc, and then we see him come back here through some kind of fluke with the grandmother-grandson curse duo. And then we come here, and, you know, we're expecting, like, this big showdown between Megumi and his father, but... I mean, it's great, like, the resolution where Toji realizes, oh, Fushiguro identifies or doesn't identify as a Zenin, so I can, quote-unquote, die in peace. But do you think there really was any reason for Toji to have returned here? I mean, you kind of brought up that this opens up a door for Megumi to learn a little bit more about his father. But, like, I don't know. It's, it's just kind of weird how... Toji's role in this all played out. Yeah, no, I, I think that you bring up a good point. I think there is a point and not a point at the same time. Like, I think it it was like a waste of what could have been a really interesting story beat for Fushiguro, Megumi Fushiguro's, um, like, overall, like, character development. Um, but at the same time, like, it comes and goes so quickly that, you're right, Toji just kind of feels like a plot device. A plot device to kill the octopus dude, and then 
to give Fushigo, Megumi Fushiguro a run for his money. Because I, I love the whole thing that, that takes place. Don't get me wrong. Like, whatever, what happened, I still really, really love. Um, because you have the two of them going at it. And then Toji gets a good look at Megumi, who he immediately realizes, like, who it is. And we get a quick flashback where we see Toji uh, talking to, I think, the old dude, the old Zenin dude who was with Maki and Nanami. Naobito. Yes. Um, and he's saying something like, yeah, go ahead and like take my son when he's old enough. And he's like five or six or seven and his powers manifest. But then we get a female voice that comes in who I assume to be Toji's wife saying like, you know, please protect our son. And so I think that's why he said what he said to Gojo in the prequels, you know, in his final moment, like this kind of offhand, he was like, hey, you know, if, if I do have one thing to ask of you before I die, if you happen to run, my, run into my son, He's going to get sold off to the Zenin clan. I know that you have a, a rivalry relationship with them. Um, but the most powerful part of this is like when Toji asks him, what is your name? And he says Fushiguro. And he's like, okay, so not Zenin. The fact that he decides to off himself when he has a second chance at life, right? Like Toji seems like a pretty greedy, self-centered kind of guy. But the fact that he'd rather off himself instead of uh instead of going after his own son and po potentially killing him knowing that his son defied the zenin just like he did like that was enough for him like that that i think is a really interesting thing for a character like toji because when i'm thinking about the fight with the octopus the narrator comes in and is trying to explain mm -hmm. why toji is going after the octopus which i think if you boil it down it has something to do with the type of jutsu that the old lady used is forcing Toji to like instinctually want to go after the strongest person in the room. Yeah. Um, and I think Toji probably realizes that he doesn't have full control over himself. So he's probably thinking like, if I do stick around, I'm going to kill my son. So it's weird. It's like, he seems like such a self-centered dude, but then like he, I think deep down inside, like still cares about his son. And I think that's why I love this so much. So even though to your point, we could have done without all of this. Like Toji just kind of seems like a plot device here. At the same time, I find it to be very powerful, and I hope it does lead down, uh, leads lead to something that is really interesting when Megumi realizes, oh shit, that was my dad. Yeah, like I said before, I think this just opens up a door for Megumi's story to really take root as it continues on. I know, like the series is going to focus more on Itadori, but there are still many questions left unanswered for Fushiguro and even like in terms of his sister because we find out something about her towards the end of the season yeah um, also sorry if we confuse anybody normally I call Megumi Fushiguro I just say Fushiguro but like with Toji in the mix it does get a bit difficult to distinguish the two of them so mm -hmm. then he becomes Megumi and Toji versus just Fushiguro yeah I guess you, you could say Toji said I've seen enough I'm satisfied mm -hmm. right <laughs> I know we kind of skimmed over the whole Sukuna versus Joko fight. Really cool fight, explosive, literally and figuratively. Uh, but what stuck with me is that Sukuna says that he could kill every human in Shibuya in an instant except for one. My question is, is he referring to Itadori? Because he's in Itadori's body and he obviously can't kill Itadori, otherwise he's gone too. Is he talking, to, talking about Gojo? Because he knows Gojo is one of his actual, like, like foes like gojo stands a chance against sukuna or is he talking about fushiguro because he has plans for fushiguro down the road yeah uh i feel like he's talking about fushiguro that's what i'm thinking too because you know they had 
their pivotal fight in, in season one, where I think Sukuna takes a particular interest in him. So I, I can't see him like saying, oh, I'm going to save Itadori for last because he already reverts back to, or he, he gives Itadori's body back just or later on so he can see the destruction he's caused. Yeah, that's true. So, so it's, it's probably Fushiguro. Yeah. And I, I don't know if, I mean, he's, he's probably aware of what's happened to Gojo being sealed like just seeing it through itadori's eyes yeah so i think he already pictured gojo being taken out of the game anyways so in episode 17 thunderclap part two turns out fushikushi unleashed his developed stand mahoraga requiem in a last ditch effort to stop the country bumpkin until sukuna intervenes and uses his domain expansion malevolent shrine to literally level the playing field within a 140-meter radius. But at least he was kind enough to keep Fushiguro just outside that threshold. Sukuna then passes the rock back to Yujio, who is left to marvel at the absolute state of Shibuya on this cursed Halloween, while we find Kent Overhaul clinging on to dear life in the subway and hoping that someone can compliment his new Two-Face cosplay. So I think here, like, this is where, I think it's the episode where Sukuna goes out of his way to make sure that Fushiguro is safe. Right? Yeah. So that kind of answers our previous question, like, about who he wanted to, what, what was the thing, like, who we wanted to save? He said he could kill everyone in Shibuya oh, yeah, except for one person. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's like, I needed, like, time to process this episode and I'm sure Fushiguro is going to wake up confused as fuck because he decides to sacrifice himself in order to kill the annoying dude. Haruta. Thank you. By summoning that Shikigami that no one has ever been able to overcome. Like, Fushiguro is like, this is it. I'm dying. Like, I, I this is the, the self-sacrifice play. But then, of course, Sukuna senses what he did and decides to intervene so that Fushiguro won't die, kills the Shikigami, but then drops Fushiguro off to be healed Mm-hmm. So between Sukuna and Toji, Fushiguro has got to be so fucking confused about why all this shit is happening to him. <laughs> he's like, who are these people? Why do they keep helping me? Why am I not dead? Like, he's probably just, I mean, he's probably not awake yet. But when he does wake up, he's going to be like, what the hell happened? He's going to grow up just like his father to be a plot device. <laughs> That's why he keeps being saved. We do get a flashback where Gojo explains to Fushiguro why his clan and the Zenin are at odds. And it's because of their two sets of skills. Gojo's like six eyes and whatever the fuck other one that he has. And then Fushiguro's ability to command the Shikigami. So I'm like, that just makes me excited because as my favorite character, I want to see more interesting shit around Fushiguro. And I feel like there's, they're teeing up some crazy arc for Fushiguro with his sister waking up, mm-hmm. with Sukuna like saving his ass, with Toji finally like meeting him or not meeting him, but seeing him after many years, um, with this flashback and learning that Fushiguro's skills are very unique. I'm like, let's go. I can't wait. I hope it's the next arc. I don't know what's coming up next, but I'm ready for Fushiguro to have the spotlight. Going back to Sukuna, I thought it was interesting. I don't know if it was just this episode I noticed. There's always this letterbox format with the screen. I think it's it's symbolized when you know, Sukuna is in the action in place of Itadori. I can't recall if they 
had this same technique in the previous episodes where Tsukuna appeared, um, but it just makes his return to the series feel a bit more grand and I guess more destructive as you see what he does to Shibuya. Although, again, some of the animation feels a little bit bare bones in this episode to feel impressive, similar to his fight with Jogo in the previous episode. But I do like how we, there's a scene of him with this kind of classic arms outstretched shot as he overlooks the destruction in Shibuya. This is a shot, I think, that is used in other anime as well. I know it was used in Attack on Titan, the final season, part two, as well as Hunter x Hunter in the York New Arc. So it just seems fitting that Tsukuna would adopt this gesture as well to kind of envelop him in how much chaos he's caused in Shibuya. This episode also made a lot of people hate the OP. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, towards the end, when Tsukuna returns Yuji's body back to him, um, he has he gets to witness everything that Tsukuna does and how that has gone against Itadori's ideals of you know trying to save as many people as he can. Um, something that was like requested of him by his dying grandfather, and so as you know, we see Shibuya leveled and just in <laughs> in an absolute state. <laughs> Yeah, the the OP comes in, and again, it's specials by King Gnu, but it just takes away from the emotional weight of this moment as Itadori is just wrestling with what exactly he has kind of indirectly, but in a way directly wrought. Uh, they could have just used the ED, which would feel a little bit more appropriate, I guess, given the feel of that song. But using using specials, it, it takes the emotion out of it. And what it reminds me of is there's a meme of, you know, like on Nickelodeon, where it shows like up next is whatever show running along the bottom of the screen. I saw a meme where, I know this is Disney, but... Um, it's the moment in Lion King where Simba sees his dead father <laughs> on the ground and, you know, he's crying about it, but it's, it's a screenshot, a quote unquote screenshot where at the bottom you see it's like, up oh, next is SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> That's how this felt. And I don't know if you got the same feel out of it, but I know a lot of people in the anime community ended up hating the OP because of what, how it was used in this episode. I get what they were going for by like placing the OP when they did, but I don't think it landed. Like I get what they're trying to do, but I don't think it was special. like I don't think it was the best decision. So I don't like hate it, but I also don't think it I don't think it stuck the landing. On the more fun side though, there is an Easter egg in this episode. Um, and we have a screenshot of this Easter egg that we can share in the Discord is that amidst the rubble that's flying throughout the course of Tsukuna's fight against uh, Mahoraga, you see a cameo of Pochita from Chainsaw Man, one of Mappa's other anime series, and he's just fly- flying through the air as well. Yeah, I would have never caught that unless somebody had posted the screenshot like they did. Actually, yeah, I don't even know how whoever originally caught that 
just happened to notice it because you know it's just rocks and concrete flying it was everywhere. like a chaotic fight too yeah in episode 18 right and wrong ken two-face meanders through the subway slashing away at all the curses who refuse to acknowledge his dedicated cosplay until discount shigaraki pats his back for a job well done Anami wonders if the cosplay was worth it when the ghost of Haibara past points towards Yuji-O stumbling upon the scene. Ken Two-Face tags Yuji in before he is blown halfway to Kingdom Come, causing our young vessel to go mob psycho on discount Shigaraki in close quarters or curse quarters combat. But unbeknownst to him, a body double is also facing Nobara Juku up on the streets intent on hatching an anime scheme that will truly drive Yuji insane in the membrane. And there it is. Carl's husbando has passed away. Yeah. And I saw it coming, but it was still so sad to see. And I know that Nanami had met a nearly similar fate against, I think it was also Mahito in season one. And he was reflecting on why he became a sorcerer in the first place. And I know he had all these doubts about Yuji and, or Itadori until Itadori ended up saving him in that particular episode. So I feel like this is almost like a, a full circle moment where Nanami expresses that he's, he's exhausted and he's done enough as he's fighting these curses. And I love how him struggling to fight against them is kind of interspersed with these scenes of him finally being at peace on a beach. I don't know if it's the same beach where, uh, you know, Dagon had his domain. Um, but once he sees Itadori enter the picture and, you know, Mahito's there, it's almost like he's come to a full peace with knowing that Itadori is there to kind of take up the mantle and, and fight the good fight for everyone, which I think this is where you might have picked up the similarity between this and my hero academia with with what nanami says to itadori which is you take it from here yes yeah i mean there's a bunch of parallels between my hero and the season of jujutsu kaisen but that yeah certainly is is one of them um we we do i don't know with, with not nanami it's interesting because it is a very sad ending for him but like you said it kind of is his moment to be free because he came back into the fold to find a job worth doing as he says mm -hmm. and hopefully he felt fulfilled in that aspect being a jujitsu sorcerer um and that's why he kind of had these images of like his peaceful end game which is to be like living alone in a quiet you know beach in malaysia in malaysia um so yeah i mean i think it's it's a sad ending, but it's a, a fitting ending um, where hopefully he he didn't die in too much pain, even though he was half burnt to a crisp and then exploded at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a brutal thing for it Itadori to have to see is like one of his mentors that he really, really respects basically passing the baton to him before he blows up. <laughs> like, oh my God. And then it leads into this fight that's interesting because it's a close quarters fight closer quarters than uh the fight between itadori and choso in the bathroom mm -hmm. but despite that it, it still kind of feels big in a way right like they're literally up against a wall like they're getting squished up against a wall but the way that everything's animated did make it still feel like a big fight yeah it's a unique i guess battlefield for a fight where 
the walls are kind of closing in and you feel almost claustrophobic even though you know, it's like this CGI curse blob that's kind of shrinking the hallway but it wasn't it was impressive to to witness this and you know it's a lot of just punching and shooting and punching and shooting but i think the gut punch besides nanami's demise in this is learning mahito's plan to drive itadori into even more despair when you realize he has a body double that's facing off against nobara and this was the second thing that i was spoiled about <laughs> with jujutsu kaisen season two is that nobara meets her demise as well but i guess here, Mahito's at least upfront about her impending doom. Um, yeah, so I wrote my notes for this episode. I'm like, oh shit, like Nobara is going up against Mojito. Mojito. Mahito. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, please let her get an amazing solo fight finally, is what I wrote. Um, and then, well, I'll, I'll wait till we talk about episode 19. And speaking of which, in episode 19, Right and Wrong, part two. Nobara Juku uses the power of hammer time on the body double to successfully wound the body single of Discount Shigaraki, giving Yujiro a quick advantage in the subway slugfest. Unfortunately, the two pull the old switcheroo, and Nobara Juku gets her cheek clapped, triggering the old flashback of this character's life before their untimely demise TV trope that we all know and love. Nobarajuku accepts the fact that she will no longer reunite with her friends of old, although Yujiro may not be so quick to accept this fact, as he bears witness to her botched facial reconstruction surgery. So then the episode starts, and my notes say, well, once again, Nobara's fight scene is lacking compared to Itadori and Fushiguro. Um, I always root for her, right, to have her moment, and I just I don't think she's had it yet. The fight w was still good, don't get me wrong. It does show how quick thinking she is and like she uses resonance and, and not only locates the real Mahito for their way, but like inadvertently saves Itadori um, and he thanks her from afar for, for doing so. Like he knows that that's her. He's familiar with her moves. Uh, and I don't know. I just, it was good. Right. But it could have been better. It's it's it pales in comparison to what like every other character has gone through with their fight scenes. Mm -hmm. I honestly think the best fight scene that. Uh, Nobara has had is when she paired or teamed up with Itadori at the, I don't know if it was the end of season one, but they're, they're fight, the, right? The paintings, the Cursed Womb paintings. I think so. Yeah. yeah like the, when the two of them are, are teaming up, like that was a fantastic fight, but it wasn't a solo fight for her. Like that's what I'm waiting for. Uh, but then we do get the flashbacks, right? Where it shows us more time, more about her time in her small village, shows us a bit about her friend Fumi. Um, gives us more context about Saori moving away because I think that she's already provided some information about that. And that's all great. But then, yeah, like it, it's that anime trope where if you see a character's flashback randomly in an episode, they're probably going to die. I mean, this happened after the fact, after Mahito slapped her. So, like, yeah, we knew it was coming. So I guess it kind of flips the trope on its head by introducing it after the catalyst to her demise um but yeah going back to your first point it's it's a shame that nobara a lot of her fights seem to happen in like transition it's never like a focal point of an episode even though here it it clearly turns the tides for itadori to gain an advantage over mahito but it, it ends up being all for naught which is a little bit of a shame um, and i just love 
you know, after I think Nobara has a line where she tells Itadori to tell everyone on her behalf that life wasn't so bad. And then you see her face. You don't see her face explode. It explodes. Um, and we don't see the extent of the damage. But then Itadori just has this very muted Kugisaki. And it just has so much weight to it. And I want to give props to uh, Itadori's VA really quick, Junya Enoki. Because he puts in work, I think, in this episode and in the previous episode where Itadori witnesses Nanami um, getting killed and also where he sees the destruction in Shibuya. Like, clearly Itadori, his mental state is not in a great place. And I think Junya Enoki very well evokes that in his acting. I don't think Nabara's dead, though. Because, I mean, they, they the guy, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. In the next episode, the guy's like, I did what I could to save her. She might be dead. I'm not sure, right? Like, if they don't even know and she's right fucking in front of them, I don't think she's dead. That I'm, I'm betting my money that she'll somehow survive, which I would be very happy about. I love her character. I would mm-hmm. like for her to survive. So maybe I'm just, uh, maybe it's just copium at this point. Uh, hopium. Maybe it's a little bit Copium, of Copium, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm holding out hope. I'm holding out the hopium that she's she's going to make it. Yeah, and, and she was a character I was referring to when it comes to like plot armor. Because, uh, yeah, in the next episode, it, it feels like there is a fighting chance for her, but you know we won't find out by the end of the season. Real quick, though, piece of trivia is I think in the OP, Nobara is actually covering her left eye. And as a sign of foreshadowing of her, I guess we'll call it "quote unquote" death. She warned us that her face was going to explode. <laughs> well, you know, OPs always contain spoilers where we don't even realize it. So, in episode twenty, "Right and Wrong" Part Three, Yujiyo is dealt a Yuji blow to his mental state that Discount Shigaraki quickly exploits with a couple of cheap blows, until my besto friendo appears to save his braza from being another Shibuya statistic, and Nita Hand plays paramedic in rushing the maybe-not-yet-dead Nobarajuku to safety. Yujiyo joins Todo Todo after getting a boost to his confidence health bark, as we see the class from Kyoto's Jujutsu Hogwarts Class 1A on their way to provide some very late backup. But Discount Shigaraki is too stubborn to call this a defeat, and thus he takes the showdown to the streets of Shibuya, intending to go 100% full-on degenerate. Another piece of trivia with the OP in this episode is that it actually changes some of the images. And I'll post a YouTube video um, in the Discord of the exact changes that happen. But to describe them here, it's the shot of the Jujutsu Sorcerers in front of office. Like, it's a shot of them in front of these office buildings. But then... With this OP, that's replaced with the rubble of Shibuya in the aftermath of Sukuna's destruction. And I, I believe the map of Shibuya that you see somewhere like three quarters of the way through the OP is replaced by this black hole. And that's obviously the radius of Sukuna's destruction as he went on his rampage. I'm so glad Toto's back. Like he he's just so much fun to watch, and of course, mm-hmm. as soon as he arrives, the the comedic moments start because you got the the, the blonde guy. What's his name again? 
Nita. Thank you. Um, Nita, <laughs> Toto says, oh, I've got to go to my brother. And then Nita's like, I didn't know he had a brother. I thought he was an only child. And then when he's treating Itadori, he's like, this guy does not resemble Toto at all. <laughs> like, he, the guy is so confused. But again, he does say that there's a slim chance that Nobara's alive. He may just be saying that to keep Itadori from imploding with emotion. Um, or maybe he's being legit. I don't know. I hope he's being legit. But all in all, it, it was this episode, I think, was all about Toto returning and just how how powerful he is. I would say he came just at the right moment, especially because Itadori has hit rock bottom here. And then his quote-unquote brother comes along <laughs> to, to try and lift his spirits. And I just love that, you know, right when you think Mahito is about to deal Itadori the killing blow, you just hear the clap. And you know exactly, like, if you've been following Jujutsu Kaisen closely, you know exactly what that sound means because that's um, Toto's curse technique, right? It, it's the boogie-woogie where he switches places. I just love the, the sound being the reveal that Toto has returned. It's like, if you know, you know. And yeah, I've, I've never been more excited to see Toto because <laughs> I know we briefly saw him in a couple scenes, I think towards the beginning of the arc, but we never really knew how he was going to come into play. So, yeah, it was great to see the brotherly team up here. Although, as I was watching this episode, I realized we never really get to spend much time with the actual JJK trio in this arc. Besides, you know, that scene at the very first episode where they're talking about the, the girl that Itadori's seeing. I know, it kills me inside because I love this trio, my favorite trio in all of anime because they feel so realistic. One other thing that I want to call out with Todo, because I've said that Jujutsu Kaisen, it feels like it picks up on things that we've seen in other series or other franchises, is when he's trying to encourage Itatori to get back into the fight. He says, so long as we continue to live, our dead comrades have not been truly defeated. And who do you think that sounds like in another series? Attack on Titan. Yes, Erwin <laughs> Smith. <laughs> so he and Toto are just cut from the same thread. Cloth. Cloth. <laughs> also, I'm just waiting for this Mahito motherfucker to die. I know like the, the, these past couple episodes and the, the subsequent ones have all just been a showdown against Mahito. But oh, I, this is one thing that was kind of annoying is seeing his fight sort of stretched out across these episodes. I mean, it makes his defeat a little bit more tastier by the end of it, but I don't know. Like It was one thing that I felt dragged on a bit too long. In episode 21, Metamorphosis, Yujiro and Toto Toto hold their own against a relentless discount Shigaraki who's throwing so many curses you'd think he's a sailor mouth until he takes a page out of Mojo Gojo's strategy book to use a domain expansion in the blink of an eye to take the boogie out of Toto's woogie. One disorienting Oshinoko idol sequence later, however, and Discount Shigaraki is shooketh to his core with Yujiro's well-placed black flash. He is nearly forced back into the void from whence he came, whence suddenly fake Gedo superstar teleports to the battlefield, offering him one last continue screen. Toto honestly stole the show in this fight. Like, not only was he pulling all the strings and making things happen for Itadori, he was 
hilarious in his face-off with Mojito, like when his pendant falls to the ground and it opens, revealing <laughs> not so only stupid. a picture of the idol that he worships, but Itatori's picture. Like, it definitely distracted the shit out of Mojito. Um, but then you have Toto kind of imagining his final move with his idol, when in reality, it's just like the perfect timing and a very clever use of his clapping ability with Mojito's hand. Like, it's just... It's like sad but exciting at the same time. Um, but we do see he kind of is down for the count because he tries using his ability towards like the end of the fight and it just doesn't work. It was enough to distract Mojito, Mojito, Mojito again so that uh -huh. Itadori could get that direct black flash hit. Um, but it confirms like now what does he do, right? Without another hand, he's going to need somebody else's hand to use Boogie Woogie. All right. Because I, okay, this is where, again, the power system just fucked up my head. I thought Toto lost his hand in Mahito's domain, but Mahito only used the domain for like a, a split second or something. I think he did lose it in the domain, didn't he? I don't, oh, I, no, no, he he chopped his own hand off because something was happening to it. I think Mahito was turning it into a curse. Yeah. So he chops it off. So it's it's his real hand. Yeah, so it's gone. and But I, I think it was so smart of Toto to, like, pretend to clap. Yeah. I think it's both, like, him trying to see if Boogie Woogie still works, but then also just distracting Mojito because Mojito does stop for a second and he was like wait i didn't i didn't teleport like he was bracing for the, the the disorienting feeling of teleporting and trying to get his bearings with wherever he ends up mm -hmm. only to find out nothing even happened and that was enough for itadori to to land that hit yeah i thought that was just kind of it's like uh joseph joestar kind of antics from from jojo where a character yeah. like, he thinks that he has this one up, but then realizes I didn't really mean to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's great that I think in this episode, I noticed like action sequences, the animation was a little bit cleaner and more detailed um, as each episode continued. Um, I love the parallel shots in here where I think at the beginning of this next iteration of the fight, you have two different shots of Mahito and Itadori running towards each other and just gearing up to beat the shit out of each other again. At the end, when it's clear that Itadori emerges victorious and Mahito is kind of hallucinating in this like snowy environment, it's uh, a parallel or I guess contrasting shot where it, this time you know, Itadori is still running towards Mahito, but now you see Mahito has turned the other way and has become fearful of Itadori. So this is where it was like just so satisfying to see Mahito get his just desserts being on the losing side of the battle this time. And like the hunter now becoming the hunted until Gato appears and just throws a wrench in everyone's plans. I agree. But to your earlier point, when Itadori was like slowly chasing him, I was like, this shit is dragging on like fucking end him already it just dragged on and on and on I'm like oh my god just yeah. kill him and then it's not even satisfying because itadori doesn't get to kill him which i think is like good for itadori's sake that he's not the one having to like kill yet again he, geto can you know handle that for him 
But I was like, just do it already. I was like, oh my God, it's so, so tiring. Uh, but really quick, when it comes to Mijito's transformation, he says like, oh, I found my true soul after getting, after that black flash. It, to me, it just kind of seemed to happen arbitrarily. Like, I'm sure there's some meaning behind it, but I don't think it's very well established. Like, can you make sense or did you make sense of like why the black flash was what triggered Mahito to find his true soul and therefore transform. You're talking about like that monster he became? Yeah, because he was like, I found my true soul now. Like I, I'm like this powerful being, which didn't last very long. But he says it's because of the black flash. It helped him find his true soul. I don't understand like how he made that connection. Well, I don't fucking know. <laughs> so maybe a, a JJK fan who's more well-versed in the lore can answer that one for us in episode 22 metamorphosis part 2 the remaining jujutsu sorcerers recoup from the shibuya rubble although mother may may i and my little wee wee have already dipped the fuck out of japan because there's no way they could survive in this economy back on the battlefield fake gato superstar sucks discount shigaraki into his boy's hole and adds to his all-for-one quirk which not even the less-than-punctual Kyoto Class 1A can shake a finger at. But here comes a delusional Chozo one to save the day, exposing Yujio for the untrue brother he really is and fake Gato Superstar for the true phony he really is. Ancient evil sorcerer, Samurai Kamurai. But when Chozo can't do shit either and everyone is nearly turned into ice pops thanks to Gato's assistant Uraume, the universe throws down one more ace up its sleeve with the arrival of the woman who convinced the original Gato to become a muggle monkey murderer, Bazuki Yuki. So, May, kind of scummy, and playing with some sort of ally behind the scenes. Although people freaked out about this scene. Oh, the incest? <laughs> yeah, I mean, also incesty. <laughs> um, but it is kind of interesting like the concept of someone who's a part of the war is also kind of playing the game behind the scenes like she knows shibuya is demolished and that it's going to impact japan's economy once word gets out and she takes advantage of that and exchanges all of her yen and dips from the country which how did she get to Mal was it Mal yeah malaysia so quickly I, she said wee wee's ability his or something wee -wee. yeah his wee wee <laughs> uh, which is also interesting because you know malaysia was the country that nanami wanted to like retire to yeah but, but she has that person that she's you know advising like hey now's the time to like take advantage of the chaos for your own gain i i kind of like it right because yeah, like May isn't like the most important character, but it shows that not everyone is, as I mentioned earlier, is as righteous as you assume. And just the idea of like someone on the inside saying like, hey, this shit's going to implode. Let's bail out of the country, but let's use it to our advantage to gain an upper hand financially. I'm like, that's not something you see all that often. I kind of I kind of liked that idea behind it. I don't know if it'll really go beyond that, but I did enjoy that. Yeah, it just makes me wonder what May's deal is really i mean like you said i think she's just playing the game at this point and i'm sort of remembering the end of season one wasn't gojo kind of wary of her or like knew that she was like up to something i think so but i don't entirely remember yeah um but i guess you know we'll see if karma comes back to bite may and her stupid ass brother uh this is the episode as i mentioned earlier where geto offs mahito unsatisfactory for Itadori, but at least 
Mojito's gone, thank God. Thank God. Uh, but now Gato is like the main enemy, especially when we learn more about him. Uh, the Sephiroth chick shows up, and I'm like, okay, I don't know how you, the fuck you found the out about Sephiroth chick. The blonde chick? The one oh. that told Gato all that stuff oh, and like planted end? those seeds? Yeah. <laughs> okay. She looks like Sephiroth. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> Her hair, anyway. Um, yeah, that's all a whole thing. I don't know how she fucking got there, but whatever. Uh, Fushiguro's sister is waking up. That's exciting, as I mentioned earlier. But let's talk about Choso. Because at first, I thought... <laughs> Fushiguro's sister didn't wake up in this episode. Oh, next episode. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, you get the idea. Yeah. Um, so Choso, I thought in, in the previous episode, like when his fight with Itadori gets cut short... I thought that it was like him having an, a, a hallucination because like his blood was touching Itadori's blood, which is also tied to Sukuna. But I think there's something more going on here because he like really went all in on these details and like revealed who Geto is actually. And it's apparently some dude who's been taking over bodies of powerful sorcerers for many, many years for his own gain or whatever. And Choso is like his son somehow. And he's saying that Itadori is his brother and he knows this because of the blood. And I mean, Choso does have blood manipulation abilities. Yeah. So I'm kind of thinking, I mean, granted, this is another bit of lore where I'm like confused as fuck. But I'm thinking that this does start to drop hints about Itadori's, like who he actually is, right? Because if you think back to the very first episode of Jujutsu Kaisen, there's no way just some regular ass person is able to deal with ingesting a finger from Sukuna. Like, there's just no way. Like, that would kill immediately. Like, everyone thought he was going to die. He was the boy who lived. Yeah, like, there was a reason <laughs> that he was able to overcome that and is able to be the vessel. And for the longest time, I was just thinking, like, they were just going to make him the vessel because he just happened to be strong. But I think what Choso is saying here is there is a legitimate reason as to why Itadori is able to do what he does. So... It's dropping some interesting hints about Itadori's origin. Yeah, it's it's hard to say like what is really true with what Choso is seeing. I guess in terms of Itadori actually being his brother, but then there is legitimacy to how he's finally revealed like why Gato's back from the dead. It's this evil sorcerer who has switched bodies through the test of time, which I think Kami, uh, Kamo Noritoshi which is interesting to note because one of the students from uh, Kyoto's school says that he says like, oh, that's my name. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't know. Like, it'll be interesting to see how how that kind of plays a role in all of this. Um, but yeah, I, it makes me really question like, is Itadori his, really his younger brother? Or like, how are they all really connected? Um, but you bring up a good point about us not really knowing like Itadori's true lineage and how this could factor into it. Some other things I noted from this episode, uh, I think it's Gato who mentions that the night parade of a hundred demons was just last year, like in relation to the Shibuya incident arc. That is that's just weird to me. That does feel weird. Yeah. I mean, we watched Jujutsu Kaisen Zero technically last year, <laughs> but to, to see how that chronologically fits it feels like that could have been a couple years in the past but things are just rapidly happening in Jujutsu Kaisen just things are moving along quite quickly um I'm also reminded I had to look this up again 
is that Tsukumo or Yuki Tsukumo, who we see at the end, is is tied to Todo from the first episode or from the first season because there's a flashback where he sees her, and that's why he asks the question about like what kind of women do you like? Oh yeah, I was I was wondering why they use the same question. Yeah, so I, I put two and two together because then yeah we see Tsukumo in the um, hidden inventory arc. And she's obviously the one who plants seeds in Gato's brain about like where society should go with curses in the future. I just didn't realize those were the same two people because I thought she was just like a one and done character. But no, she actually fits within the the bigger lore of JJK. And in the final episode for season two, episode 23, Shibuya Incident, Gate Close. Bazuki Yuki engages with fake Gato Superstar in a philosophical debate of whether to curse or not to curse. That is the Kirsten. Gato proceeds to use Discount Shigaraki's power to activate the alarm clocks of hidden sorcerers throughout Japan to awaken their hidden talents, including Fushikushi's own sickly sister, Tsumiki. He also releases a billion cursed spirits into the world before departing, signaling the end of Halloween and the start of the cursed catastrophe all in the name of Sukuna, our lord and savior. Japan is left reeling in the wake of Shibuya's destruction as the government contemplates whether or not to tell everyone that the monsters under your bed and in your closet are real, and the Jujutsu Council decide not to grant Mojo Gojo the rank of master, to sentence the Jujutsu Hogwarts principal to death, and to kappa the detate out of Yu-Gi-Oh! with the help of Jujutsu Kaisen Zero's rising star, Head Chef Yuta. But it seems that our vehement vessel is out on the lamb to take on the cursed catastrophe himself. Will he succeed? We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Okay, so season finale. I get they're trying to do like a whole major cliffhanger ending to the season, but this final episode was honestly so boring. Like the the very beginning stuff was was fine, um, but most of this was dragged out. Like, it was just dragged out, like, people watching TV, the government trying to figure out what they're doing. And I don't mind that stuff, but they need to, like, cut it down a little bit. Also, they used static shots for, you know, Japan reeling in the aftermath of this. Yeah, which may have been because of, like, the animation production situation that they were going through. Um, But, yeah, I was like, damn, this shit is dragging. It really only got hype at two points. One, when Yuta shows up... um, you know, and then when we find out, number two, that all the sentences have been determined for all the major players, basically showing us that shit is hitting the fan. Like, whatever comes mm-hmm. next after this, it's going to be crazy because now Yuta has to kill Itadori, Gojo can't be saved, and the principal is going to die and, like, all this crazy shit. That's um, just funny how the principal just gets roped into this random. I know the guy was just standing there watching the whole time, <laughs> and yet now they're like, "You gotta die, dude!" Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> um, there's still a ton of open-ended questions, like Fushiguro is Nobara still alive? Is Maki still alive? Like, there's just like a, a, a plethora of questions, and that's fine. But in my mind, they either have to give us something exciting to watch for the finale if they're going to leave it at a major multi-point cliffhanger or on the flip side or the alternative give us some level of resolution if they're going to make it a slow and boring ending but instead we got no resolution or very little resolution 
with a slow and boring like end to the season. So I personally did not really enjoy the finale. It gets me excited to find out what happens next, but it doesn't make me feel good about the way the season ended. Does that make sense? Yeah, but on the flip side, I actually found this ending pretty interesting, but I think it's mostly because it does a lot of setup work um, and, you know, that cliffhanger with Yuji Itadori on the bridge and the curses are coming out from under the water and then the screen suddenly cuts to black, it it's, makes it enticing. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of open-ended questions that are left at the end of the season, but I think knowing that shit's about to hit the fan kind of overweigh my, I guess, critiques about this not being a an ending that gives full closure to the season. And so this is just for my clarification. So Gedo, I pulled this from the JJK wiki, but he activates Mahito's idol transfiguration on two different kinds of non-sorfers all over Japan, those who consumed cursed objects like Yuji and those with latent cursed techniques like Junpei, turning them all into sorcerers. So, like, are they supposed to be at odds with each other? Or, like, what's the deal? Yeah, he said something like, they're all going to go crazy and, go to, and like, start killing each other. Something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, that needs to be fleshed out a little bit more in whatever happens after this. Yeah, I was kind of lost in the whole philosophy thing that he, like, he and uh, Tsukuma were debating. I mean, like, Tsukuma was clearly saying, like, oh, the, the world needs to be be rid of curses but Geto obvious or you know whoever Kamo Noritoshi whatever is whoever's actually controlling Geto wants to optimize cursed energy and then I guess Sukuna's in there in the mix what like just to, to fuck shit up and, and kind of reign supreme and I think he calls this like a, a new age of Heian or something yeah I don't know there's definitely a connection here because Sukuna knows Uraume. 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 Um, and Uraume is serving fake Geto. Yeah. So wasn't there another like another pair that were with Oh no, they were with Sukuna. Remember uh when Panda and the detective saw those two other antagonist sorcerers? That was people who followed Geto. Oh, okay. I don't know what the fuck happened to them. <laughs> yeah, why okay. they're important. Yeah. Why are you here? Like, just more characters to make it more <laughs> confusing. But yes, I totally forgot about them until you mentioned that. Okay. Oh, sorry. It's it's the world of Heian in the golden age of Jujutsu. Kind of returning back to that period with these 10 million cursed spirits out and about in Japan. Um... Yeah, a couple more things with the ending. You know, I have to compare it to other franchises. This is kind of like in the Harry Potter series where Voldemort comes out of hiding and then Harry is branded public enemy number one. I'm just wondering, again, if if Akutami had just drawn a little bit of inspiration from the Harry Potter series and putting together the the story for JJK, or if this is just a connection that I'm making in my stupid little head <laughs> well my last thing is it was great like you said seeing yuta return here 
<laughs> saying it like the state of Utah, but Utah Okotsu. Um, he saves the day for that girl who's about to get her shit rocked by a cursed spirit. And then the reveal that he is actually going to be the one executing Itadori for his crimes against the cursed society or whatever. It makes me wonder, like, because I loved Okotsu in Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, but I don't know how to feel about him kind of being an antagonist in this next season. Because, you know, he was he was very a uh, very heroic character in JJK Zero, but now Itadori is the protagonist, and obviously we have to back Itadori here, but Okotsu now is going to be at odds with Itadori. Well, you know I, mean? I think Gojo had hinted at Yuta's existence to Itadori and the group at some point. I could be misremembering that, but I don't think Gojo actually had the opportunity to explain to them who Yuta is. Mm-hmm. So that was a missed opportunity, right? Like if Gojo had explained that to Itadori, I'm guessing when Yuta is confronted with him, Itadori can like talk his way out of it or explain like what Gojo's thought process was or whatever. But I don't even know if Itadori will know who Yuta is when they eventually run into each other because mm-hmm. my guess is Gojo hasn't had that opportunity to bring uh, Itadori up to speed. I could be wrong. I don't know. Like maybe they'd already had their conversation and Itadori knows all about him. So we'll see what ends up happening. But like, I think Okotsu has valid reasons to want to kill Itadori. Yeah, he's no idea who this kid is. Well, yeah. But if Gojo were there to to bridge that gap, to like be that liaison between the two of them, I'm sure it'd be great. But yeah, he's all stuck in the prison. Yeah. Oh, it, I think that will be an interesting relationship to see if that does unfold in the third season, which I believe was announced at the conclusion of the season finale. So hopefully we don't have to wait too long, but, you know, we also want MAPPA animators to to get their rest where their rest is due. And have plenty of time to create the amazing things that they create. And that leads us into our final thoughts for Jujutsu Kaisen Season 2 as a whole. So... How many what you seal is what you gatos out of 10 would you give this season? I would give it a 9.5 out of 10. It was phenomenal. I mean, from start to finish, the prequel um, to current day, I just, I thought it was so good. And I mean, the the level of insanity that they are taking on with a season, I mean, it is a fight scene almost every single episode where every fight is completely different, totally unique in its choreography. Um, I think in the music, maybe, you know me, I don't know too much about the music. Uh, Just like everything about it, there's so much thought that goes into every episode that I just, I love it so much. Again, I, I do find some things a little disappointing, like the finale, um, like the over-explaining of the very convoluted pieces of, of JJK lore and power systems, um, of like having to see all of these characters that like just kind of make me scratch my head or I can't even remember because there's too many characters on hand. But all those things don't take away from overall how phenomenal this season was. I think it easily this season could have been 
exhausting for any viewer but the way that they go about it and again because everything is so thoughtful and different and like interesting to watch I never once felt like there were too many fights or there was too much going on I thought that the, they struck the balance perfectly and I, I can't say enough about how impressive that is also I mean taking a big risk with having a five episode prequel and then jumping back into present day that's very very strange um for a lot of viewers and I didn't know what to make of it I was very apprehensive about it but I think the five episode prequel is just as incredible as the rest of the season so I I think that all of the risks that were taken um panned out beautifully and this might be I know I, I really, really love the first half of the first season, but I have to say, I think season two in its entirety might be my favorite part of the show so far, and I cannot wait to see where this goes next. What about you? I would give season two an eight and a half out of 10. I love how the stakes and the consequences are much higher in this voluminously dark chapter of Jujutsu Kaisen. And despite the initial confusion of the season starting off with the Hidden Inventory prequel, and I guess before that you had Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the flow of a story still feels intact and necessary in order for us to get a grasp on the goings-on in the chaos of the hellish Shibuya incident, feeling similar in concept to how Attack on Titan's final season started things off from a new perspective. Things are moving right along during the season as well. There's no lull in the action or the plot progression that force you to be kept on your sukuna toes and wondering who's on the chopping block next while empathizing with Itadori's mental state of disarray as he struggles to adhere to the humanitarian goals that were imparted to him by his grandfather. Unfortunately, this season feels like it could not live up to its fullest potential as it was mired in the shadow of production controversies surrounding the well-being of MAPPA's animators, which is a story for a different day. But at the very least, I think they did what they could given the time and the resources to still produce sequences that were eye-catching and mesmerizing. So overall, the season was effective in showing us that Jujutsu Kaisen is not here to fuck around and has blessed us in fully demonstrating how, even as it borrows certain tried-and-true elements typical in other shonen, this particular world of curses is not to be underestimated, or as one reviewer called it, average material elevated by excellent execution. And I can't wait to see how Itadori's story crosses paths with Okotsu's long-awaited arrival, whether or not Gojo will be unsealed from the prison realm, and if Sukuna ever gets to finish fingering himself. <laughs> he has five fingers left. He does. They, they shoved a lot of fingers in Itsudori. <laughs> <laughs> um, so season three is going to be called The Calling Game. Uh, and that's it. That's all I see here. I don't know when it's going to premiere. I don't see any other information. Just that it's called The Calling Game. So... I guess take from that what you can um, without getting spoiled by anything from the manga. Although I have to say like this season was so good that I am just 
slightly oh itching to maybe want to peek at the manga, but I'm going to hold off because I'd rather experience it um, in the anime format as I have been. I'll just wait to be spoiled about it on Twitter. Yeah, that too. <laughs> and with that, the first episode of 2024 is in the books. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed Jujutsu Kaisen season two as much as we have. And let's hope that anime in 2024 is as insane as what we got from this season. Thank you guys as always for your support. We love you so, so much. Subscribe to Strictly Anime and Strictly Jojo on your favorite podcast streaming service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support us, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. Back on the battlefield, fake Gato superstar sucks dicks. What? <laughs>